You know what you truly just watched? Followers of Jesus Christ being followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to give a praise offering this morning to God, letting us have the privilege of serving Him. Let's thank God for that privilege yesterday. Now that you have your hands warmed up, I also want to thank Tracy and Rachel. Thank you so much. They did that yesterday. Tracy's telling me that Rachel was the brains behind the operation. So, But uh, thank you both you ladies. That was beautiful. And thank you all that served yesterday. In fact, I want to do one more thing here. If you served yesterday in any capacity, maybe you served the day before getting baskets together, would you stand for just a second, all those that were involved in the mission to Hanover? Hey, well, God bless you. Let me ask you this. What do you believe the biggest need in the church is today? We've been talking about the last few weeks here, this month of November, about my life is not my own. Based on Paul's life, it's not me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. But what do you think the greatest need in the church today is? Don't know if you know this, but there's 11 million citizens that live in the, in the state of Virginia. They say that about 70% of those citizens are lost. That means there's 7.5 million people that live in Virginia right now that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's 322 million people that live in the United States of America. They say that 75% of them are lost. That means there's 241 million people in America today that do not have a growing, living, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I had the privilege last night to go down to the Family Foundation dinner, and I'm always blessed to go down there and hang out with those folks that have a common thought about our nation and the heart's desire to see Jesus Christ exalted, but also to, to ponder the thought of how we can take this nation back for the glory of God. And uh, the guest speaker last night, we had two of them, Ted Cruz and his dad, uh, Pastor Raphael. And uh, what a precious time hearing these men talk about Jesus Christ and also talking about their experiences together as dad and son. But Ted Cruz talked about the fact that, uh, you know, we have skyrocketing debt. You know, he's analyzing kind of where we're at in this nation, and you all know this as well. The unemployment is higher than it's ever been, the true unemployment. The threat of terrorism, we saw this horrendous, horrible act in France, but also heard this morning that there's been another act in Kenya, apparently. But uh, we're seeing the anarchy in the streets, and how sad that we have a half a nation here that desires to dishonor our police officers. I don't know if you heard this, but Louis Farrakhan, <clears throat> I even hate to mention that name in a sacred place like this church, but he's called for the killing of 10,000 police officers. Are you killing me? Are you kidding me in America today? We're seeing our nation, unfortunately, not just embrace sin, but also celebrate sin. Had the privilege the early part of this week for the first two days of the week to go down to the Southern Baptist Convention down in Tidewater area. And I uh, got to meet up with a bunch of my pastors and sat and had breakfast Tuesday morning with two of the larger pastors of, uh, of, in Virginia here, the larger churches, pastors of larger churches. And they were very concerned about the state of our nation, as they should be. They're also concerned about how it's affecting the church today. And what, is, what difference is the church making in this nation? So it was a great dialogue sitting and listening to these guys that have churches, very, very large churches. And they, 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 they pondered the thought about 
the whole movement of the Supreme Court and the homosexual agenda. They pondered all the things that we basically affirm today as being right. And if you have a different opinion, they're not only going to disagree with you, but they're going to try to throw you under the bus and try to discredit you as a human being. It's just sad. One of the things that Ted Cruz said last night, though, some people believe that maybe the sun is setting on America. And he said, well, there's some, as he said, as myself, I believe the sun is rising. And he discussed also things about how we think that maybe America's best days are behind us, but maybe not. But then he quoted Psalms 113, verse 3. He says, from the rising of the sun to the setting down, the Lord's name is to be praised. You know, if we think about it, there is only one hope for America today, and it's Jesus Christ. Really? You think about it. These problems are so gargantuan, they're so huge, they're so big, so out of control. No one person, even the President of the United States, no matter who he is, is going to be able to fix them. And Ted Cruz talked about this last night. He said the church is the answer. He also said that in the last election, I think we've talked about this before, but Obama won by 5 million votes, just 5 million votes in a nation. But he said 54 million evangelicals did not vote. Registered evangelicals, people that said they're Christians, did not vote. He says, we don't need all 54 million. It would be great if we had them. But you know what we really need is just 10 million of those evangelicals to vote. To get off their couches, put down their TV changer, channel changer, and go to vote. What is the biggest need in America today? What is the biggest need in our churches today? I can tell you very, very specifically what it is. Our churches need the power of God. That's what we need. The power of God. American Christians are drifting away from the mission of God. They really are. We've drifted away from what God has called us to do. Listen very carefully. When we drift away from the mission of God, you know what happens? We also drift away from the power of God. We no longer operate in the power of God because we're no longer walking in the mission in the center of God's will. And so we've lost the power of God. There's too many churches today. There's too many families today living without the power of God. What does the power of God look like in your family? What does it look like in a church? I'm here to tell you there's not a whole lot of churches like Beaverdam Baptist Church, and I'm very proud to be associated with this church, to serve alongside you, because we see the power of God comes down. Do you know when we see it? We see it when we're doing the mission of God, when we're out there doing what God has called us to do. It's not just sitting in church. There's too many people sitting in church going home, and that's the whole extent of their Christian experience. That's the whole experience of their worship experience. It's church on Sunday morning, singing a few songs, listening to the pastor about halfway and leaving there. But what is God doing in your life? Where is the difference that God's making in your life? Are you operating in your own power, or are you living in the power of God? I've shared so many times that I don't want to see what Gary Stewart can do. I want to see what God would do through a man committed to him. I want to be a funnel for God. I want to be a conduit for God's blessings to other people. I want my life to count for God's glory. I want my life to be one that touches other people with the power of God because God's working through me. It's interesting. When we all become Christians, you know what happens? We receive the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to know this, too. When you become a Christian, you receive all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. All of it. He gives you complete access to the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Jesus Christ said, I'm leaving the Comforter behind to be with you always. 
Once we get saved, though, and converted, start living our life, what happens to that power? Where does that power go? Why do we no longer have that power kind of living inside of us? Well, it's still there. Do you know what unfortunately happens? We quench it. Put a big wet blanket on top of that Holy Spirit power. You know why? Because we have our own agenda. We have our own kingdom to work. We have our own kingdom to worry about. We have the things that I want to do as opposed to what God wants to do. The heart we talked about last week. The consequences of complacency, remember? But the biggest problem we have as followers of Jesus Christ is surrender. The biggest problem any human being has is surrender. You know, that's a, that's a dirty word in the military. You never surrender. Never give up. But the beginning of the abundant life of Jesus Christ is surrender. God, it's not I that live, but you live in me. It's not my life to live. It's yours, Christ. I give it all to you. Listen very carefully. You can do that this morning. Surrender my life. But you know what? You need to do it tomorrow morning too. Why? Because the enemy's right there and wants you for you to take it back. You know, I'm going to lay my life on the altar today, but tomorrow I'm coming back to pick it up and take it with me. It's sad that we struggle so much with surrender. But we have this incredible power. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're going to read one verse. As you find your way there this morning, Acts 1, 8, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence, respect to the reading of God's Word. Let me set this up as you're looking at Acts 1 8 here. Jesus has been crucified. He was buried in a broad tomb, and on the third day he rose from the grave. He spent the next 40 days ministering, talking about the kingdom of heaven, reaching out to those people. They say there was hundreds of people that saw Jesus Christ alive. Most of all those disciples, his apostles, saw him repeatedly. Why? Because he wanted them to know for sure that he's risen. Remember old Thomas? He heard that he'd risen, but he needed to see himself. Have you seen Jesus in your life? Do you know that Jesus Christ has truly risen from the grave? Well, he ministered for 40 days, visited with people, showed up to different settings, let them see that he was alive. He was talking about what was coming next. And then after 40 days on the Mount of Ascension right outside Jerusalem, he ascended into heaven. Remember the angels came down and all those folks were watching him, the disciples and apostles said, why do you look up? He's coming back again the same way he left. He's coming back again. The Bible tells us he's coming back in the very same place he ascended from. But the last thing that Jesus Christ said before he ascended into heaven, you know what he said? Acts 1.8. Look at this. He said, but you shall receive what? Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to, you shall be witnesses to Jerusalem and to Judea, to Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. You shall receive power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your holy word. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your plan is perfect. Father, but your plan entails power. Your power, Father, that we might live extraordinary lives, Father, that we weren't born to be ordinary, Father. We're born to be extraordinary, Father, because of you. So, Father, I pray this day every one of us would realize power in our life, Lord, maybe that we haven't acquiesced for a while, maybe that we haven't tapped into, Father, but I pray today, Father, we come to understand the power that you desire for us to live in. Father, we thank you now for this most precious time. I thank you for each person in this room. Father, I'm, I'm more than aware, Father. I'm overwhelmed, Father, with the folks in our church right now that are going through incredibly hard times. And, Father, we as a church body, Father, claim your power for them, Father. Lord, I was mindful last week when, Father, one of our precious men asked me to unleash the church's power prayer. 
He needed that power in his life. He needs it today, Father. There's others in this room, too, that need that, Father. So I pray right now, Lord, we'd realize that we have power. We have your power, Father, at our disposal, Father. So I pray that we'd claim it, that we'd live in it, Father, and we'd share it. Let the world know that there's power in this world to make a difference, to give hope in hopeless situations, Father, to give us encouragement, Father, when we're discouraged and depressed. Father, to give us that peace, Father, to give us that sense of joy, Father, your joy, the joy of our salvation. Father, we thank you now for this most precious time. This we pray in your name. Amen. Where is the power in prayer? In 1729, 1729, before the Revolutionary War, a pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards lost his grandfather. His grandfather died. He'd been serving with his grandfather for two years in a church in Northampton, Massachusetts. Upon the death of his grandfather, he became the pastor of that church. Jonathan Edwards began praying with a powerful, God-given, God-ordained, God-inspired word. He preached like nobody had ever seen before. He preached the fervent word of God with fervency. People's lives are changed in that church. God used Jonathan Edwards to awaken their souls. And it caught on. There's other pastors. Some of the pastors by the name of um, William Tennant, George Whitfield, Samuel Davies over here in Polgreen. Caught on, heard about his preaching, found out about it, saw what God was doing in the church. And God, by his power, awakened America. In 1729, America had kind of lulled back to sleep. There's those that realize that because of that preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and Samuel Davies, they changed this nation to the point where they realized that God was in control and they had God's power. You know what that led to? The American Revolution. Think about this. A ragtag group of little militia guys had the audacity, but also they had the God-given power to take on the greatest army and navy in the world, the British Army. It was no secret. They were by miles the greatest army and the most powerful army in the world. How are we ever going to take that? How can we take our independence from them? You know what? They realized that I could do it by God's power. They realized we can do this because God has given us something very special, and we have God on our side. Nothing is impossible with God. <coughs> it's amazing what God did through the preaching of God's Word. A couple of righteous men stood up and began proclaiming God's Word that needed, the way it needed to be proclaimed. And you know what happened? The people sitting in their audiences and their congregations believed it. Imagine that. Believe that God could do something spectacular in their lives. That God could take even them, little ragtag militia guys, and defeat the British army. Even the audacity of the think of that. How could they even think that? Because of God. God gave our nation the power to win our freedom, to win our independence. Listen very carefully. I believe with all my heart, I've read just enough about it, the American Revolution would not have happened but for God. They would have never had the courage to stand up to the atrocities of the British government. But they had courage. They had boldness. Why? Because they knew that God was on their side. Let me tell you a couple of other neat things that happened. God brought some colleges into this world. Out of this great awakening, the first great awakening here in America, Princeton, Brown, Rutgers, Dartmouth, University of Pennsylvania, were all established in the midst of this incredible revival going on. Let me tell you something else that happened that was incredible that really set the stage for 100 years from then. These pastors began sharing the gospel with African Americans. They'd never done that before. They didn't feel it's unfortunate that America had that kind of ideology. They didn't feel like they were worthy of them to spend their time. 
They didn't really even feel like they were human beings. They were something substandard. But you know what happened? Because of the movement, a powerful movement of God, they began sharing the gospel with African Americans. You know what? Hundreds, if not thousands, of African Americans became saved because of the revival and the power of God. God's power turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. In Acts 1.14, we're going to look at that in just a second. Jesus had told his apostles to wait in the upper room there for the power to come. And they were gathering together for some ten days, praying, praying together. It says this in Acts 1.14. It says, these all continued with one accord. That's important, with one accord. You know, they had a common focus. What was that focus? That Jesus Christ says, we're going to get power. The Holy Spirit's coming. We're focusing on that. Nothing else. Nothing else matters because Jesus Christ says the Holy Spirit power is coming. That could be one of our problems today. The one accord part. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. God showed up because why? Because they're one accord praying. I've shared with you over and over. In fact, uh, some people say it's my personal verse. It is one of them. You know it's what I'm talking about. Second Chronicles 7.14 if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. You think about this for just a second. And you have a choice this morning. I believe that or not. I believe with all my heart if God's people in America began praying that, began actually living that prayer, humble themselves, praying, turn from our wicked ways, seek his face, you know what would happen? I believe God will heal the land. I believe it. God's a promise keeper. No great movement of God ever came without praying. How much do we really want this great movement? I'm here to tell you the, the devil doesn't really tremble at my preaching, doesn't tremble at your teaching, doesn't really tremble at you going to different ministry opportunities. You know he trembles? He trembles when you pray. When you enter into that throne of grace, he realizes that God's power is omnipotent, that God can do great things. And through my prayer and through our prayer, God can show up and do great things way beyond our abilities. And that's what God wants to do. He doesn't want man to get the credit for it. He wants to get the credit for it. Imagine if our nation turned around tomorrow because people got serious about praying. Imagine two months from now, this is a Christian nation again. Because God showed up and made it that way. Because people were anguishing and fervently praying for him to show up. Prayer is the fuel of God's prayer. Don't miss that, of God's power. Prayer is the fuel of God's power. God's power is not coming unless we're walking to the mission and praying about it. We have no right to ask for the fire of God if we're not willing to be the fuel for that fire. God desires for us to be that fuel of that fire. He wants to use us in a great way that glorify Him. Do you see the power of God in your life? Where does the power show up in our personal life? Does the power show up in our life at all? It shows up because we have peace that passes understanding in the midst of storms. I've seen it over and over as a pastor, even before I became a pastor. People that had a sold-out relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, when they encounter an incredible hardship or a burden or something that's uh, really tough to face, you know what? They got peace. I don't know why, Pastor, but I got peace right now. You know, I, I feel okay. I know this isn't going to be good. I don't know, I don't know how it's going to end up, but I just got peace right now. God even gives us joy in the middle of a storm. 
But God gives you the strength. God gives you the power. Why? Because I'm living with God. I'm believing on the promises of God. If you don't get anything else out in this whole message today, I want you to hear this next statement. God can do more in a moment than you and I can do in a whole lifetime. Did you hear that? God can do more in one single moment than you and I can do in a whole lifetime. When God shows up, He changes things. He changes things. You think about this, and we have some folks in our church here that got saved later on in life, and they're 40 or 50, 60 years old. Their whole life they tried to figure it out. They're pretty much destined to live their life the rest of the way they lived the first part of life. They were living away. But then God came in and changed their life drastically in a single moment. They got saved. And all of a sudden, their life's completely changed. Think about that. Your life as well. Maybe it's going in the wrong direction. You pray, and all of a sudden, God shows up and changes things. Might not change the situation you're dealing with, but He changes you. He shows you that I'm here with you. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you every step of the journey. I want you to realize that we're going to do great things together, God says. We're going to show the world that you have a great God. How come? Because you can stand strong in the middle of the storm. You can stand upright. You can walk through the storm with courage, with boldness. Hebrews 4.16 says this. You know this verse. Let us go boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time from need. You know what God's saying here? I want you to come in to my throne of grace. I want you to walk into here with boldness, but also walk in here and realize that you're entering the power scope. You're entering the power zone. That when you leave my presence, you're going to have power you didn't have when you came back. You're going to have some answers and some comfort in some of your prayers. God wants you and I to live in power. He doesn't walk on us walking around defeated. doesn't walk on us walking around here wounded. He wants us to walk through this world with power, His power. He wants the world to see you and I as different. I've told you before, and it's very sad. The biggest problem with Christianity today is not Jesus Christ. In fact, the surveys would say most people in America, even though they're not Christians, believe that Jesus Christ is a pretty good guy. They think that's a good thing. But then they'd tell you, you know, my problem is not with Jesus Christ. My problem is with people that call themselves Christians. Why? Because we're not walking in the power. We're not living when we need to be. We need an unprecedented move of God in America today. You know that as well as I do. We need God to show up and show off. We need God to show up and demonstrate who he is. Let the world know that there is only one God. America needs a spiritual awakening. It's not going to happen without the power of God. More important than all that is we don't need to worry about who we're putting in the White House. I believe firmly that we need to vote. It's one of our problems right now. We don't vote. We don't get active. But it's not about who's going to be in the White House next. It's more important about who's in God's house. God. Is God in his house? Many people have been very critical about prayer not being in schools or prayer not being happening uh, happening in the public square. If you really studied, you'd be more concerned about the fact that prayer is not really happening inside the church. That's where it needs to start. We need to get serious about prayer. Why is the church no longer really important? Because we're not living in the power. Acts 4.31. Remember that? Peter and John had been arrested, but they'd been released, and they came back to their 
loved ones and the disciples. And, you know, they could have been saying, oh, it's horrible, man, we need to do this. And you know what they came back there and said, let's pray for more boldness. Let's pray that we do even greater things. And you remember what happened in Acts, 31, or Acts 4, verse 31? After they'd prayed, it said, when they'd prayed, the place where they were at assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You know, when God's power comes down, he shakes things up. God's power was there. Why? Because they were on mission. They were where God wanted them to be, in the middle of his will. They wanted them to be there that they might be able to stand strong and be about his mission. Nothing I, as a pastor, can do can change this church. Nothing you can do, the deacons or teachers. But in a single moment, God can change this church. There's a lot of great things going on here, but you know what? I believe with all my heart that God wants to take us to a whole new level. And it begins when you and I believe in the power of God Almighty. You and I believe that God can do these things. We believe that God can do anything, that all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. I shared a little bit, and Amy shared a little bit about Mission to Hanover yesterday, and many of you were there. The video was beautiful. It, it gave a good picture of what happened yesterday, being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You know what we saw yesterday? We saw the power of God come down. Yesterday, Hanover County was shaken by God because his people were on those fields. I saw the joy of our salvation exhibited in the workers out there and how they were so joyful having such a great experience out here in, in the county here helping other people. But it came to the surface of their lives. Man, I'm doing something for Jesus Christ. There was a, a great awakening in our folks. Many of them are already doing that every day in their life. But there was an awakening yesterday in this county. Do you know what else I saw? I saw God's amazing grace. People that are downtrodden and discouraged when our folks showed up to rake their yard or to fix their roof or to build a ramp out there for a precious blind lady. You know what I saw? They saw undeserved favor. They didn't know why they did this, but they realized God did this. God sent his people to bless me. God had grace for me today because my people showed up to do something. I love the fact that I was, as I was driving around visiting folks and visiting many of the people that were in the homes that were helping, I realized as I watched our workers that they were saying yesterday, my life is not my own. I'm giving my life to Christ today. It was beautiful. Let me share this final thought this morning. We need a sense of urgency like never before. We really do. Jesus Christ lit a, lit, lit a fire underneath the, fire, uh, underneath the belly of the early church there. You know, Stephen preached to the high priest there, the first deacon there, and he was ultimately stoned for it. Paul on that Damascus road, going to crucify Christians, persecute Christians. And he met Jesus face to face, and the first thing he asked him after he realized who he was talking to, he said, what can I do? The power of God came down. The power of God filled up Stephen. How about Cornelius the centurion when he sent for Peter? Peter gets an invitation from a centurion of the Roman government. I'm sure he doesn't think it's very, going to be a very good experience. And yet what did he do? He went. He went. Little did he know that the centurion Cornelius wanted to know Jesus Christ. But I'm sure he went because of the power of God. I know he did. And he realized I'm going here into harm's way because I got the power of God on me. Paul. Remember old Paul? Paul was warned repeatedly. We just studied a few weeks ago about not going to Jerusalem. He says, all kinds of bad things await you there. But what did he say? None of these things move me. I'm not worried about anything. I'm going because I'm operating in the power of God. We see it over and over in the Holy Scriptures about ordinary men doing extraordinary things. Because Why? Because they had the power of God. 
I want you to think about this for just a second. Think about these heroes of our Bible and some of these people. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark deserted Peter, uh, Peter Paul. John Mark deserted Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too cold. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widower, a widow. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Moses was a murderer. Jonah ran from God's will. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worrywart. And Noah was a drunk. But you know what? Because of the power of God, their lives were changed. Ordinary people that had major flaws did great things for the glory of God because of His power. They surrendered their lives. They were used of God in a great way. And God showed up, healed their inadequacies, healed them for who they were, <coughs> and used them for His glory. I don't care where you're at in your walk. I don't care what attributes you have that you don't feel like fit into the ministry. Listen, God made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God wants to do a great work. But we need to get out of His way. I pray that all the time in my life, to stay out of God's way. When you say, God, I want to operate in Your power. I'm surrendering my life to You. I want to see great things for Your glory, God. You know, one of those things we talk about here all the time, I've actually been criticized as your pastor for talking about too much, is winning people to the Lord. It's sharing our salvation. I've had people leave our church because all He ever talks about is sharing our faith. Listen, I think Jesus talked about that a lot too. I fall far short of him. But you know what? That's what he's talking about. So I'm going to talk about it. I want you to see this video that gives us an incredible picture of a sense of urgency. It's an incredible picture of saving people. This uh, fellow had an accident. He was on a motorcycle, slammed into the front of a BMW, and slid underneath the BMW. And the BMW burst into fire. And watch what happens.
boy lived. Had minor injuries, but lived. We live in a world where I don't believe it's ever been more urgent for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Especially in America. Think about this. What's going on in America today? You know what happened in America today? If every single person that called themselves an evangelical Christian went out and told somebody about Jesus Christ and saw them come to know the Lord, you know what happened? It would be a completely new nation by next Sunday. It's that fast. There's that many people that call themselves Christians. We need to take the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's power in Jesus Christ. Why don't we do this? Why don't we have a sense of urgency? Well, uh, many theologians would advocate three things. There's a theological problem. You know what the theological problem is? That many of us don't believe in lostness. We just don't believe it. I got saved. I'm in the lifeboat, so really I don't, I don't need to worry about anybody else being lost. It'd be like ignoring what happened right there, but those people came together and lifted that car up and saved that man's life. Saved him literally. Listen very carefully. More than half of America today is burning and going to die and go to hell and burn forever. They're burning right now. If they die tomorrow, they're going to burn forever. We have an opportunity to share with them. But our theological problem is we just don't understand lostness, nor do we believe in it. Listen very carefully. You're either lost or you're saved. It's that simple. We have an eschatological problem. What does that mean? It means we don't really believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. The Bible says we don't know he's going to come back like a thief of the knife. We don't know when he's coming back. Do we believe that he's coming back, really? He can come back today. Am I living the way that I want Jesus Christ to find me today? Am I living the life that I want Jesus Christ to receive me into heaven today? Then we have a spiritual problem. You know what our spiritual problem is? I believe our spiritual problem is we don't feel like we need to repent. We don't feel like we need to take time and give God our confession. We say, God, I'm a sinner. We don't look in the mirror every day. We, it's easy for us to look at other people and point out other people, man, I'm doing a lot better job of them in my life than they are because they do this or that. And this. It's not repentance. Repentance is when I look at God and say, God, forgive me for my sins. I hope this isn't a surprise, Alva, but you know the pastor sins every day. I try not to. But I do things every day, and, and probably most of my sins are omission. I don't do all the stuff I'm supposed to do every day. I think after all these years as a Christian, being this old, I've pretty much handled most of the stuff that I'm not supposed to do, and I've kind of cleaned that out of my life. I still slip in some of those things. But I'm here to tell you, everybody sins. And we need to have such a close relationship with Jesus Christ and with our God in heaven that we're confessing our sins. That we're repenting. God, I don't want to go there anymore. Help me, God. Forgive me, God, for doing this. I want to turn from my sins and I want to turn to you. It's a 180 degree turn. It's a complete opposite direction. We're in the fight right now for the hearts and souls of our children and for our nation and for our community and for our church, to be honest with you. Churches right now are declining across America. Why? Because people just don't think it's that important. God's not that important. I can have God and go to school and, and stay at home. I can watch God on TV. No. Do not forsake the gathering together, the Bible tells us. I want you to know that from your pastor's perspective, retreating is not an option. We're moving forward. I'm in absolute awe and thankful for you all 
for the privilege to serve alongside him. But God has so much more for us. I'm going to conclude with this last thought here. On June 28, 1787, the Continental Congress were meeting. They'd been meeting for about five weeks. And they'd stalled out. They weren't moving forward. They weren't doing what they'd been called to do. There was arguments and nobody could agree on anything at all. And so an 81-year-old gentleman from Pennsylvania stood up. And of all the people in that room there, he was probably the coldest Christian in there. The person the furthest away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But he knew the Bible. He was a very wise man. And he stood up and realized that something needed to change. And so he said this. This is a quote. This is Benjamin Franklin saying, The small progress we have made after four or five weeks with each other is a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. In this situation, this assembly, grappling as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when it's presented to us, how has it happened? Sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding. Benjamin Franklin went on, he said, In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequently instances of the superintending providence in our favor. Have we now forgotten our powerful friend? I love that. Have we now forgotten our powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I've lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs over the affairs of men, that if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We've been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain who build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we will succeed in this political, political building no better than those that built the Tower of Babel. Benjamin Franklin finished his speech, and then he called for a resolution that they start and finish every day with prayer. They did that. You know what came out of that? God's power. There's never been a greater constitution written in all the world. There's never been a constitution that's lasted 230 years. God showed up when they prayed. They were seeking God's power. They were trying to do it without God's power. Benjamin Franklin brought them all back in and said, Hey, listen, we were going to lose that revolutionary war without God. We prayed and God showed up, wrote the Declaration of Independence and succeeded in battle. We need God in America today, and I know you agree with me 100%. So let me say that again. We need God in America today, right? Amen. Amen, absolutely. But we need God's power. We need to see God in front of who we are. God standing in the midst of our lives and us standing for God in every way. We need the power of God.